To me, AI is like one of those watershed moments in technology that's just going to change society forever. I think if you can find that mix, man, there's nothing more fun than building a startup. You know what? I got to go on a rant for a second. What has been the seemingly most minute, innocent, small moment in your career that has really made the biggest impact? So it's going to be an arms race like it always is, like it always has been and always will be. Who says tech can't be human? What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. You know what? We had a lot of fun at the RSA conference this year. We have fun at every conference, really. And every conference always leads to interesting relationships and conversations. Our guest this episode, we met at RSA. Our guest is Brian Contos, Chief Strategy Officer at Sevco. Brian, I was excited to meet you at RSA, but even more excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome to the show. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Chris and Ron, for having me. I'm excited to be here. And it was. It was great uh, Great seeing everybody at RSA this year. I think it was probably the best RSA in like maybe three or four years. So looks like it's starting to make its, uh, make its way back. Oh, yeah. Hands down, one of the best RSA ever. We got to talk a little bit about your background because it just seems like if you were to just look at your LinkedIn, it's kind of like a movie. You just keep going into success <laughs> after success after success. But let's take it back a moment. What is it about you, your upbringing, your personality, maybe it's the way your brain works, that seems like it just lines up perfectly with these acquisitions, these IPOs? What is it about you? Is it just you're good at choosing companies to work for or is it something else? It's a movie. It's maybe a bit of a horror movie. <laughs> uh, there's, there's definitely been some, uh, you know, build, building a lot of startups is uh, uh, a vicious, vicious mm -hmm. beast. I don't know. You know, there, there's something about it. So I started my career with DISA, uh, you know, Defense Information Systems Agency, large government agency. Then I went to Bell Labs, arguably equally large. I moved to Brazil for a, a few years with that. But when I came back to the United States, I, I started my first startup, which was Riptech, uh, with Amit Yaron and Grant Geyer and Tim Belcher and all these great people. Uh, they, they had built it up and they said, hey, we're going to build up this MSSP. Do you want to join? Back then, I was like, well, what the heck's an MSSP? Nobody <laughs> yeah. knew what that was back then. And I just think it, it, it kind of sounds silly, but if you're comfortable being uncomfortable – and there's there's no other team that's going to save you at a startup. There's there's no special working group that's trying to figure things out to make it happen. If you don't show up for work that day, things just don't happen. And I really like that. You know, when I was at Bell Labs, there was people that for the life of me, I couldn't figure out what they did for a living besides forward other people's emails. <laughs> and I and I knew I didn't really want to be part of that big monolithic structure. Mm -hmm. So I always looked for one, something that was kind of unique and interesting, but two, something that I, I think people really wanted, right? Something that was not just cool to me, but I thought that the industry really needed. And that very basic formula, I mean, this is this is first grade mathematics, yeah. uh, has brought me into some fortunate things. You know, I've had two IPOs. I've had eight acquisitions. And uh, it's been a great, great wild, wild ride this last 25 years. I saw a video on LinkedIn where that you posted that someone came up to the team at Sevco and said, hey, you have Brian Contos working for your company? 
instant success. You guys are good to go. Brian has got your back. <laughs> and it might, you know, prove to be correct with uh, your track record, the two IPOs, eight acquisitions. When we first spoke, you talked about retiring and or at least trying to retire, but you couldn't. What's the story behind that? I, I've written a, a couple books and uh, I, I even did a documentary once on cyber war with General Michael Hayden. He former head of the NSA and the CIA. Uh, literally dozens of people saw it. So not, <laughs> not a huge commercial uh, success. Um, and I always thought, hey, at some point, that's what I'll do. I'll write books. I'll, I'll do videos, do some boards. And, and I do still sit on a number of boards, but there's, there's something about the bite of, of building a company and just being kind of operationally in the thick of things. Uh, during COVID, I kind of turned my brain in a different direction. I got into watchmaking and I took mm. watchmaking classes and, you know, making the gears and everything. And man, that's a completely different analog kind of mental process that you go through. And by the time COVID kind of wrapped up and things were getting back to normal, I'm like, man, I love collecting watches, but making watches isn't for me. So I better stick. <laughs> to security. Um, so that's, uh, it's been fun. Yeah. You know, am I a lucky rabbit's foot? I don't know. I don't know. I think I've, I, I'm really good at sort of determining what the market wants. Um, if the market wants it right now, or if it's something that's going to be in 10 years from now, um, if the product or service being offered is real and probably most important, is it a good team? Are, are these people that I'm, I want to work 20 hours a day, seven days a week with, you know, when everything's good, it doesn't matter. But when things are bad, you really want to make sure you're with good people. And is, is everybody just kind of driving in the right direction? And I think if you can find that mix, man, there's nothing more fun than building a startup. It's just, a, yeah. it just, it just gets you excited. It's the last thing you think about before you go to sleep. It's the first thing you think about in the morning and you just, you just want to succeed. And I don't know if I could do that working for a big company. Maybe I could, I don't know, but right. a startup to me, that's the, that, that's kind of the essence of, of what keeps me going. I'm sure you're pretty heads down when it comes to the work you're doing at Sevco, but since you're someone that's probably keeping an ear out for all of these changes and trends, technologies and threats, is there anything that is piquing your interest today that's out there that people are either working to solve or haven't even begun to start solving yet? Yeah. So, well, certainly walking around RSA, everything was about AI and chat GPT, oh, yeah. et cetera, as it should be, as it should be. And uh, I yeah. think we're going to see two sides of that, right? I think we're going to see uh, nefarious actors using that, of course. And I think we're going to see defenders opposite trying to use that to uh, to mitigate the threat. So it's going to be an arms race like it always is, like it always has been and always will be. So I am excited about that. And really, as it relates to, you know, big data problems. So whether you're looking at uh, events in a sim or you're looking at asset intelligence or you're doing threat analysis or doing threat intelligence, uh, it, you know, you're dealing with a massive amount of data. Mm -hmm. So if you can have artificial intelligence to help augment human intuition, I think that's pretty cool. I yeah. think, you know, if I was to look around the corner, that's probably going to be the next, next big thing. And I don't think I'm the only one that thinks that. You know what? I got to go on a rant for a second because at RSA, I was a little underwhelmed with how much the AI buzzword was thrown out. I think, you know, the previous year, maybe we overutilize it, but this year, it's the right time. And anyone that's not doing mm -hmm. something with GPT or large language models, I think is is missing out, at least from like, you got to explore it at a minimum. I think one of the things that isn't complete with cyber today now with the introduction of large language language models into the mainstream is this, the cybersecurity practitioner using them. What 
is missing or what is not right about the cybersecurity industry today? You know, a lot of what we're doing is based on what we did and like what we've done for the last 20 years. Um, and it worked okay then. What we've done in the past, it wasn't really gangbusters. There's always been holes. There's always been issues. Those issues might not be technology focused, but maybe they're too uh, human resource heavy. They're too process intensive. There's no integration. I remember the early days of building ArcSight and the early days of SIM, just trying to build agents and connectors to all these disparate products for Syslog and Syslog Next Generation, SNMP and Checkpoint OpSec and all these things so we could get this log data, analyze it and process it. It was a really powerful tool. It was a great SIM. I, I still think it was probably one of the greatest sims in history mm -hmm. but man it was a heavy a heavy heavy lift mm -hmm. you had to have a team of people working <laughs> on it and that really knew what they were doing um what i think we're getting to the point is is uh organizations are um expecting in fact maybe even demanding that a lot of these tools are simpler to get value from right they're easier mm -hmm. to install they're easier to use um easier to learn but most importantly, they're able to extract value out of those solutions uh, extremely fast. Uh, it shouldn't take months. It should take you know hours to get some level of value from these tools. And that's where we're moving. And I think AI will help with that. Um, I think a lot of companies are kind of on the first chapter of an AI book. They're, they're just kind of yep. learning what they're going to do. I remember a few years ago, I saw a poster that said, if somebody says they're doing machine learning, it's because they've written some Python script. If they say they're doing AI, it's because they've written some PowerPoints. <laughs> uh, I, I think we're past that. Right. <laughs> I think we've gotten over that hump. But now we're going to see the reality of uh, how it's going to play out. And not to replace human intuition, humans mm. are always going to be such a valuable and integral part of cybersecurity, but they need some help and they need smarter tools that can help them more quickly and more easily. Have you seen anything in your past that rivals sort of this surge in AI? Because uh, it kind of reminds me of when blockchain was getting big and NFTs. It was kind of like that. But to me, AI is like one of those watershed moments and technology that's just going to change society forever. Can you think of another situation, whether it was early on in your career, that is reminiscent of the AI surge that we see today? Yeah, I mean, we're talking big moments like Google search, right. uh, smartphones, uh, cloud computing, and then probably post AI, maybe it will be quantum computing, mm -hmm. right? I think that's going to be another sort of watershed moment. But no, we're talking about real fundamental changes, I think. I think AI will be potentially as impactful than anything we've seen in our generation, right? Mm -hmm. So it's right up there with the internet, mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking about all the different scenarios that you could use AI. Uh, I really, Obviously, my background is in intelligence, so I think about a lot of intelligence applications, incident response, threat hunting. What are you most excited about seeing yeah. AI solve in cybersecurity in the near future, say six months to a year? What do you think we can get in, in that amount of time? Well, you know, I'll, I'll play off what you said. So you said threat hunting. Uh, I really like this notion that's being floated around lately that's called vulnerability hunting, which is different mm. than threat hunting and different than a vulnerability assessment. So I'll, I'll, I'll give a little background because it's kind of, you know, newish, yeah. newish terminology. So in, in threat hunting, right, it's extremely useful tool, but we're assuming something, we know something nefarious has happened or we're under the suspicion that something's probably happened. So we're looking for signs of compromise, right? Someone's been in our network, something's been in our, on our systems and it's causing an issue. And we're, we're looking for those breadcrumbs. Absolutely important. Doesn't get replaced by vulnerability hunting. Then you've got vulnerability scanners and vulnerability assessment. 
I've got this open port. I've got this vulnerability. I'm running Apache. It's this version. You know, all great stuff, kind of meat and potato stuff. Now, vulnerability hunting is a little bit different. Now, vulnerability hunting is this whole notion of, all right, I've got all these other things that we're doing with threat hunting and all these things we're doing with vulnerability assessments. Great. Mm -hmm. But I want to be able to identify it from an asset perspective, kind of what SIM did for events. Asset intelligence can use uh, vulnerability hunting for assets. And that's to say things like, I know about all my asset types on-prem, remote, in the cloud. I know where they are. I know what OSs they're running. I know what applications. I know what users are interacting with them. Vulnerability is the whole thing. But I can go even further. I can say, oh, you've got uh, CrowdStrike, and you're on the latest version, and I see that you're communicating with the management console. Everything looks great. Okay, Automox for patch management. Uh, you know what? It's installed. So I, I know the 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 presence of it, but the state is telling me that it's about three iterations too old mm. and it hasn't communicated with the management console in over six months, probably an issue. And maybe I'm supposed to run, I don't know, Lumio for segmentation. And that's just completely missing. So now I can build up these profiles, these vulnerability hunting profiles to say, look, of your 50,000 systems, these 500 don't meet your profile minimum requirements. You can go ahead and address them. Right. So what that means is vulnerability hunting is, is proactive juxtaposed to threat hunting, which by nature is a, a reactive, reactive approach. Mm -hmm. And again, one doesn't, one doesn't uh, replace the other, but I think that's really cool. And going back to what we we're talking about AI, you've got this massive amount of asset intelligence now, right? From all these different API feeds. So instead of just saying, I know about this thing because I looked at Microsoft Active Directory or what I get from Wiz or what I get from, you know, uh, Silence or something like that. I'm correlating that. I'm normalizing it. I'm deduplicating it. I'm correlating it just like we do with Sim, ingesting all this information. What a great place to add AI. Yeah. So now I have proactive vulnerability hunting augmented with artificial intelligence to say, hey, by the way, I'm going to help you look for these uh, these little anomalies in here. And as we find things and discover, I'm going to learn what is nefarious and what's not. And that's going to be a really, really cool flip when, when we can actually reach that to solve those big data problems. You just created a whole new job market. I think that is probably what the world is missing is people hunting <laughs> these vulnerabilities. It's crazy to think that a lot of the times we have threat hunters and a lot of you know defenders in our environment without understanding what we truly have and what the language of those components or assets really are. And when I was working in the uh, attack service management space, there was two problems that I saw over and over again. On one hand, it was the analysis like you're describing, like looking at all those vulnerabilities and uh, making sense out of all the data. But on the other hand, it was integration, having enough data sources in one single place to where you could pull all that information in one place or fewer places. What do you see to be the bigger challenge, uh, assessment of the data or integration of the data? Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll start with integration first to talk about that. All the companies I've worked for in the past, integration was the biggest headache. Um, we had, you know, in the sim space, we had hundreds of people dedicated to integrations. It was such a pain. But now APIs are pretty pretty common. We're finding API integration with most solutions. So instead of saying, I need to connect to every endpoint and every IoT device and every this and every that, I'm just connecting to the management consoles for those devices. 
So I want to have an API connection into Microsoft Active Directory, an API connection into CrowdStrike's management console, into Automox, so on, so on, so on. And you might have dozens, potentially even hundreds of, of sources, although hundreds would be rare. But you pull that in via an API. That's so fast. That's so easy. Usually the biggest problem with that is, oh, Steve, the guy that manages that machine and has the API information, he's on holiday for a week. That's usually the biggest issue. Or, you know, we have to set up the firewall to open up this port so it can make a call over HTTPS, you know, whatever, you know, things like that. But once you get in there, you get the data. Now, once you make that connection from an integration perspective, everybody is different. Product A parses it and produces data this way. Product B does it this way. So you get a lot of duplication. Oh, you've got 50,000 assets. Nah, I really only have about 20,000, but you just keep on duplicating it with the data. So you normalize it, you deduplicate it, you can correlate it. That stuff can happen really fast. Um, in a good asset intelligence platform, like the way we do it, it's all cloud-based. It's a cloud-native solution. So you take advantage of all that elastic computing capability and things like that. It's just, it's purpose-built for that. So integration, simple, easy-peasy. On the other side of it, on the analysis side, um, I think one of the things that we see is when you give people a really powerful tool, it's very descriptive. Look at all the cool features and functions that you have. Go hog wild and, uh, and do what you like. I think people need a little bit more prescriptive information. Okay, do you want to address PCI? These are the 10 things that you can do for that. Do you want to do license management? You want to look where you're over-licensed or under-licensed. This is how you do that. Do you want to check to make sure that all your devices are abiding by your gold standard images and they're running these three types of security controls? This is how you do that. So sometimes just giving an organization a tool is great, especially for really advanced uh, customers with big security teams. For the rest of the world, which is most of the world, you just need really prescriptive analytics to help people through. Um, that's something that we focus a lot on. And again, to our earlier comment, I think that's something that AI will be able to help out a lot in as well. We have some news to share with you, a member of the Hacker Valley Media family. As of 2023, we became a full-time independent cybersecurity media company, and we're committed to bringing you the most powerful, thought-provoking stories in the field of cybersecurity. And we learned we can't do it alone. We'd love to invite you to our exclusive Patreon community, where we host a monthly mastermind where you can meet like-minded individuals in the field of cybersecurity that are trying to be more creative and be the best version of themselves that they can be. We would love if you took a second and visited patreon.com forward slash Hacker Valley Studio, and we'll see you in the mastermind. We haven't had anyone with your track record on our show ever. I mean, really just look at all the, the acquisitions and the IPOs. And I'm sure it's an easy question to answer to say like, hey, what was the most impactful moment in your career and how did it impact your career going forward? But I'll, I'll flip the question this way. What has been the seemingly most minute, innocent, small moment in your career that has really made the biggest impact in your career? Wow. Wow. That's a, that's a good one. Um, you know, early on in my career, when I, when I left Bell Labs and I went to Riptech, I, uh, I was running like a professional services group doing pen testing, security assessments, things like that. And that was augmenting our revenue until we built up our MSSP practice. And in doing that, before, before I joined, I was just a heads down security engineer, maybe a little system administration, network administration, but it was, I was all about security. And uh, I think one of the reviews I got from my, uh, my boss when I was with Bell Labs was, 
you know, great this and this, but technically arrogant. <laughs> and, uh, and so I was really focused on, hey, you know, I'm an engineer and salespeople and biz dev people and all those guys are, are losers. Um, when, I, when I came to Riptech, one of the hats I had to wear was sales engineering. And I actually had to get out with the sales team in front of customers and do pitches and respond to RFPs and, and work with partners and develop a channel and all these things. And that was a completely different world. And it just kind of happened. I didn't ask for it. I wasn't looking for it. It just kind of had to be done. Again, when you're with a startup, you wear 50 hats and you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable because you're doing a lot of stuff that's not in your lane. And I think doing that really exposed me to a lot of things, you know, sales, BD, a little bit of marketing, certainly more senior level management and what boards are interested in seeing and that sort of thing. So just being forced to get out of my comfort zone and do something that was uh, orthogonal to where I thought my career was headed and certainly orthogonal to what I had done in the past, I think was probably one of the biggest changes I had. Because then when I started looking at businesses in the future, um, after we sold Riptech to Symantec, uh, I, I was like employee, you know, five or 10 or something like that at, at ArcSight. We were very small. We were in Sunnyvale in the back of a dentist office with no customers. Mm. Um, so when I joined that, it really allowed me to kind of assess the entire business and the vision of it. I don't think I would have had that ability had I not have had that opportunity at RipTech to kind of get exposed to all the different little areas within the organization. Certainly not become an expert in those, but understand how they work and more importantly, how they interoperate with each other. Love that. Sometimes it's really the small touches that lead to a big finish. Yeah. And I think that's really what the story is. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's funny. Like when I found Sevco, I had known the team here. Uh, for quite a while, especially the founders, um, JJ Guy and uh, Greg Fitzgerald, both had uh, have had uh, absolutely great, successful uh, careers up until this point. Uh, Greg Fitzgerald has had a number of uh, great exits, including uh, SourceFire and Silence, and JJ came from Carbon Black. And they came together and they put something interesting in place with Sevco. And I think the thing that drew me to that, and kind of looking back on the past companies that I've worked with, is that it was something foundational. It wasn't a, a solution that operated in a silo in of itself. And not to say all solutions like that are bad. There are some good solutions that do do that. But what was interesting about Sevco and asset intelligence is it's foundational to everything else. So it makes CMDB better. It makes ticketing better, SIM, SOAR, et cetera. So because of that, you're increasing the ROI of what you've already got. When you find a solution that can do that, that can up-level your security tools. And I should also say this is just as impactful for IT operations and also GRC as it is for security. It can up-level all of that. That's a winner. That's when you want to dive in. And that's when you want to say, hey, this is, this is going to be a game changer. This isn't just another Me Too product that says, oh, I do what they do, but I do it better. This is actually saying, I'm actually doing something different and I'm doing something new which is actually kind of unusual in security. So if you can find that, and if it's real, and it's, a again, good team, good product or service, the right market timing, jump. Mm -hmm. Jump in, you know, do do the 20 hours a day and loving <laughs> it kind of thing. And it's, uh, and you know, hopefully there's a big reward. None of us bat a thousand, but if you find that combination often enough, you can get pretty darn close. And if you don't bat a thousand, find Brian because he does. <laughs> you know what? And uh, we got to continue this on because we you know, have been speaking, uh, Brian and I, and also 
Uh, Sevco is here in Texas. Uh, I live in Austin. Sevco in is Austin, yeah. headquartered in Austin. So we're definitely going to keep the conversation going and bring y'all back on the show. Brian, it was a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to jump on the mics with us. For anyone that wants to stay up to date with Brian, be sure to check out his information in the show notes below wherever you're watching. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye, everybody.